Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. And welcome to another edition of the Pro-America Report. I'm Noah. Ed's going to be joining you here in just a moment. It's the What You Need to Know segment. And as we get started, Joel Pollack and Armstrong Williams joining us with Ed Martin a little bit later on in the show. So what do you need to know today? You need to know that it's okay to embrace change, and you also need to be dedicated to make it happen. And so I thought, who could I have on the show to talk about that today? Somebody that I'm negligent in reading. Reaching out to in quite some time, but he understands I'm the producing octopus. Yes, I put that in an official email and we've reconnected, but it's good to get him back on any show that I'm happen to be hosting this time on the Pro America Report. It's William Sylvanius. He's an author and a change agent. You can go to his website, find out more about him, williamsylvanius.com. That's S I L B A N E U S.com. And he often likes to say, be a voice. Not an echo. We'll get into some of that a little bit today, but the topic is very important. Why being bipartisan isn't enough to save American democracy, and we are living that right now. William, thanks for coming back on with me on any show I happen to be on. Man, I've missed you. It's good to hear your voice. Oh, I always love being on the show with you. I I missed your voice, too. Uh, We have such great conversations. Always great conversations. We really get people to think. You actually cause me to think even more. So it's a, it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we have a great topic today. I think a lot of people are kind of really thinking about what I just mentioned, which is about why being bipartisan isn't enough to save American democracy. There's a lot of back and forth going on right now in America, and people are like, hey, reach across the aisle. They say they're doing it, but you're not really doing it authentically. And that's another key word, authentically. What's going on as far as you see it in America today with being bipartisan, William? Well, we're trying to be bipartisan in the middle of a broken system. We're trying to be bipartisan in a system where the rules, customs, and traditions are all designed for power and authority to push one party or a handful of leaders into the top. Uh, And that's really not the bipartisan that I see. Uh, Bipartisanship to me means cooperation, dialogue, respect, and problem solving. And that's exactly right. And you say that, and then you hear the Republicans, you hear the Democrats. Unfortunately, we have a two-party system, as you and I were just talking about before the show, which is, I think, a broken system. We need more political parties, or I would abolish all political parties. I think that would solve a lot of the problem. However, I think there is, within a lot of the main players on both sides, a deliberate move to cause division in America. What do you think? That's exactly what I think I see all the time. It's the way they can maintain power. You need me because the the world's going to end if you don't have it and do it my way. Also, they're so locked in because a lot of these are people who have been in power for quite a time, and they're so locked into the fight for control that they really don't feel they can risk 
they just it, to them it's a risk to let go uh, to be bipartisan. They, they they say it in words, and then like you see something happen, infrastructure thing. It became this bipartisan thing. It actually had things in it that we the people wanted to see, and then they took it and turned it into how to had it turned it into a political mess because they wanted to attack their things on it, or they wanted to prevent other people from attacking on it. That's what's broken in the system. This ability to take what is good and then try to use that to leverage things that aren't for us, that aren't good for we the people. And then something that I see missing, William, and and this is what deeply bothers me as an American, because again, I'm not a Republican or Democrat. I consider myself an independent thinker and am registered as such. But advocating for the Constitution, advocating for freedom, not advocating for party, and not compromising. Yeah, you can work across the aisle, so to speak, but not compromising Americans and America's values in the process. This is something that deeply concerns me because I don't see the Constitution and freedom being stood up for, and I'm a little concerned. Yeah, you know, I I am too. In fact, a lot of the work that I do with the thing called the 5% Project is exactly about that. It's about uh, honoring and uh, bringing into existence what the Constitution calls for. You know, even just George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, both, there are quotes out there where they had warned us that if we did a two-party system, if that's what we uh, ended up having, then it would eventually destroy our democratic republic. And I think we're just seeing that more clearly now. It's uh, kind of kept under a mask, and now it's like, whoa, this is, this is where we're headed. And then a lot of people, I talk to a lot of people, I've been on various shows and talked about the issue, and I get a couple of different responses, but I'm curious as to what you think, because you're a deep thinker like me, and I personally think... Again, one of our off-air conversations I'll bring to the forefront here. It would take years, but it is worth the time, and we need to start somewhere. A lot of people say when I ask them, okay, do you want to rebuild the Republican Party? Okay, you don't like the Democrats. That's fine. Do you want to rebuild the Republican Party? And they say, yes, you have to. You have to get out the swamp dwellers. There's not enough traction to start a third party, and that's where I disagree because I don't see the Republicans doing us any favors. The Democrats definitely aren't doing us any favors. And I think, yes, it would take years. Let's develop an honest third option that could really, in an eventual amount of time, be a solid difference maker out there. Yeah, and that's what I'm hearing from people, and that's what I believe, that it has to have room for more than two. When you have two, they're going to fight, just the way we humans are. But when you have three then it makes it harder to just stand in a fight because you've got to get cooperation together, even if you're fighting for something. Uh, It's a very important piece. It might take years. Uh, I did some studying and uh, some some guys that did a big study about how political change has happened with people like uh, Martin Luther King and uh, with Gandhi over in India and several other places. They did a real thorough study and it turned out that if 5% of the people become willing to support a change, it has never failed to happen. And it might move slow kind of at the beginning, but when it happens, it usually comes so fast that you have to be prepared in advance for getting where you want it to be. You can't just say, oh, here's where we want to be because you've got to have that ability to move forward. So, yeah, 
I'm I'm a believer, and you got to do it now. If you don't do it now, we're not going to have any change, and it's not going to get better. And eventually, you're not going to have the opportunity to ever make change if there's you know certain catastrophic events that happen to happen, unfortunately, in our nation. We're definitely going to get into on my show when I have you back on in 2022. On across the county, more into that five percent because if the, you know people think that there's not enough support for this, it's never going to happen. When you're talking about actual numbers, five percent is all it takes for something to get moving. That's something that can actually become reality. Yep, that's my belief as well. Whatever we do, we have to get rid of government by the politicians for the politicians and of the politicians, and get it back to government of the people for the people and by the people. Well, one thing that we always talk about, too, is don't just talk to the people that have the same values and the same way of thinking as you do. If you're trying to get something started, that's great. You obviously have to do that. But be a voice, not an echo, as William says. We always talk about that echo chamber effect, William, which is something that we've talked about early on in our initial chats together. And it's something that people really, I believe, as we close this segment, need to focus on. Because if you 100% of the time live in that echo chamber, well, then you're never going to make any change. That's 100% true, because if you're in the echo chamber, all you're hearing is the things you want to hear, and you're not hearing from the other people who think differently. So they become your enemies rather than just people who think differently. Uh, And we have to bridge that. We have to get back to being human and step out of our echo chambers. You can check out more about the echo chamber effect in depth at the website, William Sylvanius. Again, that's S-I-L-V-A-N-E-U-S dot com, William dot com. Also, the seven characteristics of authenticity. Always be authentic to yourself. And I want to close this segment, William. We've got about 90 seconds left. Just going to just hold your feet to the fire and straight out ask you. <laughs> because I know you'll give me an honest answer. Uh, what do you feel is threatening American democracy most? I know we're a republic of states, not a true democracy per se, but what's our biggest threat within our own borders? When you take all the other nations out of the picture, what are we facing most here in America that should be of deep concern to just about every citizen? The thing that we're facing most is that people are beginning to believe that if something is done with a little bit more authoritarian slant to it, that it'll help take care of the problem. It's coming from both sides, and we have to be careful because it's utterly undermining our expectation of what we stand for, which is the working together. Well said, my friend. There you have it, William Sylvanius. And again, it's time to reform how we think. We're going to have him back on the Pro-America Report, and my own show across the county. William, we're not losing touch again. You have my word on that, but it's good to have you back. And thank you. I'm so glad to be back. Noah here on the Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. More interviews with Ed Martin coming up featuring Joel Pollack and Armstrong Williams. Stay tuned. Again, go to ProAmericaReport.com and WilliamSylvanius.com.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend Joel Pollack is with us. He's the senior editor-at-large over at Breitbart News. He also hosts his uh, program on Sunday evenings, Breitbart News Sundays. It's on Sirius XM Patriot, uh, and it's uh, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 to 7 uh, Pacific Time. And I was just asking him off the air because I noticed on Twitter, I hadn't seen anything about this yet, he's got another book. He's written a bunch of books. Red November was a great book. He wrote a book about the election cycle. His next book, which is really valuable because he's a great writer, it's, it's, the title is How to Write, and then the subtitle is $50,000 of Lessons for Less Than $5. So welcome, Joel Pollack. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for the plug. Yeah, How to Write is a bipartisan or nonpartisan book, so I'm pretty excited about it because it'll be useful for everybody. Yeah, well, and as I should say, not only is a writer over at Breitbart.com, and, and his, his title is uh, the senior. He was he was editor in chief for a while. We'll talk about back then when I, when I, the the segment we're going to talk about. But he is currently the senior editor at large at Breitbart, and um, also though a lawyer, which means you had to learn to write some too. So, but this is why I contacted him to get him on, Joel. Back, I guess, almost a decade ago. Uh, you were on CNN. Soledad O'Brien, I think, was still there. You were editor-in-chief of Breitbart, Breitbart, but you were talking about the late Andrew Breitbart, who had actually, by name, over a decade ago, talked about critical race theory and its roots and the threat it was, uh, and it came back up recently. Tell, Walk us through, first of all, the history. I mean, Andrew Breitbart gets, gets a lot of credit for s- some things. He doesn't get enough credit for some other things. Now, walk us through this story. So critical race theory, as you know, is the idea that America is fundamentally racist because we were founded, our our founding documents, our founding principles were steeped, as they say, in racism. And they say that because slavery was legal at the time, and therefore, even though we got rid of slavery and we had the civil rights movement, our legal institutions, our very idea about liberty is racist. And so... Mm -hmm. Everything has to be undone, overthrown, overturned, redistributed, and the rest of it. Now, Andrew Breitbart spoke about this in 2012, shortly before he passed away, when he was talking about Barack Obama's intellectual roots and some new connections that we had discovered to Derek Bell, who's considered one of the co-founders of critical race theory. But actually, Andrew had been writing about this even before then, more than a decade ago, in his memoir, Righteous Indignation, Excuse Me While I Save the World. That's that's the title of his memoir. It's a very, very (laughs) good book. And and he goes into critical theory, which is a kind of a foundation for critical race theory, very similar, the idea that all of our institutions are corrupt and they have to be overthrown. It's a Marxist idea, and critical race theory built on that foundation. Andrew was talking about it over a decade ago. Yeah. And Joel, it's a more interesting uh, Media Matters for America, which is a far left organization. It's important to note. And, and by the way, there's a piece that uh, Joel wrote up on this whole subject, including the video of a very young Joel Pollack back then being on CNN, which is really fun to see uh, what you looked like uh, back then. And uh, but uh, George Soros funded the Media Matters for America. And they're actually writing, complaining about Breitbart and uh, Andrew Breitbart by name and Breitbart.com, I'm sure, uh, and Breitbart News by, you know, uh, by name. And uh, and brought it up just a few days ago, right? Yes, they blame me, and they blame one or two other people, but they basically have a picture of me there with Ben Shapiro <laughs> and saying that right. we are responsible for this, that that the reason people are worked up 
over critical race theory now is because of something that I wrote and I did. And you're talking about that CNN interview back in 2012. It was about a week after Andrew died, and they had me on there to try to destroy what was Andrew's legacy. And they tried to mock my interest in critical race theory. And many of the debates we have today are very similar to that initial debate. You should go back and see that debate. Just look it up. Critical race theory, Soledad O'Brien, Breitbart, Joel Pollack. And, yeah, I was the yeah. first person to talk about it on TV in that setting. And Media Matters in the left wing are saying, hey, wait a minute, maybe we can discredit the attacks on critical race theory by going after Breitbart. We can say, hey, it's just a right wing. Oh, I see. I see. I see. I got you. And, and Joe, we're talking, we're talking with Joe Pollack. Uh, Joe Pollack is uh, is currently the senior, get it right, senior editor at large at Breitbart News, hosts of Breitbart News Sunday over on SiriusXM Patriot. Um, he's got a couple books, recent book, Red November, I've talked about before. He's got a new novel out, knows how to write. He's got a book and ebook coming out uh, late, uh, I think early next week on how to write. Um, so, Joel, uh, what would, I know this is a silly game in a way. I sound like a CNN uh, a, a announcer, but how, how would Bright, how would Andrew Breitbart, do you think, see what's going on? I mean, he was like, he, for people that don't realize, he was a fighter and he came up with ways to fight, but he really was more of a thinker. I don't mean more of, he was someone who actually thought deeply and then fought. A lot of people think deeply and some people fight. They don't usually do both. How do you think he would assess you know, 2021, um, you know, when the when Stephen A. Smith, an African-American man on ESPN said, I sure think uh, Ishou Otani should have learned English by now. He's making millions of dollars. He had to apologize within hours. I mean, it, it's uh, it's almost mind numbing how inconsistent the race, you know, uh, game is. And yet it's active and, and strong and, and uh, uh, penalizing. Well, one thing Andrew used to say was that he didn't care how small the fight was. He didn't care if it was at the level of, you know, a grade school teacher. He wanted to take up the issue. And what's interesting now is that you're seeing parents stand up over what's being taught in the classroom, that it has actually gone to that level where people are realizing their kids are being indoctrinated in the classroom, and Andrew foresaw that. He said that that's the level at which we're going to have to push back, and he championed citizen journalism, which was the idea that ordinary people could cover the news, and you're seeing that happen. Ordinary people standing up at school board meetings, ordinary people talking about the materials that their children are being forced to learn, that their teachers are circulating. So this attack on critical race theory, which is entirely grassroots. It's driven by ordinary Americans standing up against the indoctrination of our kids to hate their country and to hate themselves and each other. Andrew foresaw that. He said, that's the level at which these people are going to try to reach to take over the country, and we have to report that when it happens. So I think he would be very enthusiastic about what's happening at the local level, what you're seeing with journalists like Christopher Rufo, what you're seeing in Loudoun County, Virginia, in other parts of the country where people are standing up and saying, we don't want this in our schools. Well, and and I, I agree with that. 
And uh, the question I have, though, is um, I remember asking the late Phyllis Schlafly, who appreciated uh, Breitbart. I think she gave Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart, uh, an Eagle Award, and, and she did it. She, the late Phyllis Schlafly, appreciated what he's doing. But I remember asking her about uh, the fight over education issues, and she was, said the, one of the problems is it tends to ebb and flow. And so because a lot of people had made the decision to put their kids in schools, it was hard to tell them how bad it was. You know? and, and, uh, and, for example, I, I, I often say to my listeners, Common Core – Everybody was fighting against it in 2015 and 16, and then they just stopped. And frankly, Trump didn't get rid of Common Core, and and, and it changed and all. And my th- my concern is, do the do the parents have? Is it different enough now that they're going to stay and see the change through? Not just say, oh, they stopped doing critical race theory because, as Andrew would have pointed out, they changed the name of these things as much as they changed their undershirt. I mean, they just changed the name and keep going indoctrinating your kids, right? Well, Common Core is a little different because Common Core actually started out with some conservatives involved, and the idea behind Common Core was corrupted over time. But the original idea was that our kids need a common basis of skills. They need to learn things that everybody knows and understands. I mean, nobody can really disagree with that, right? We should all learn American history. We should learn about the Constitution, about civics. We want schools to teach basic math, reading, science. You know, that's the idea. But it got corrupted. It got used by activists on the left to manipulate the curriculum and to federalize public education, to give the government in Washington control over what's happening in your community and your children's schools. So like many of these efforts, it was corrupted. Now, with critical race theory, it was corrupt from the start. I mean, critical race theory started out not as an educational philosophy for kids. It started out in the law schools, the elite institutions, as a way of taking down the system from the top. And they took a generation to train the next group of leaders, educators, professors. Barack Obama taught critical race theory at the University of Chicago after he studied it at Harvard. Uh, Elena Kagan, now in the Supreme Court, once gave a lecture about critical race theory. It's in the notes that she gave to the Senate Judiciary Committee during her hearing. They didn't ask her about it because nobody was really aware of it. But this is an issue that percolated through the system, and now it is reaching the grassroots level. It has never had any sort of conservative component, right? You never had any William Bennett or anybody involved. Nobody thought this was going to improve the system for our kids. Well, sorry about that, everybody. Our our, uh, interview with Joe Pollack got cut off there, uh, but we got most of it in, uh, longer than I expected, actually, so we're grateful for that. Joel Pollack, everybody, he's a superb writer. I'll put all his stuff up on social media. We thank him for taking the time, and we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. My old friend, I can say that now, Armstrong Williams. I can say my old friend. My old friend Armstrong Williams joins me, and uh, he is someone I, I asked him about a month ago, I think it was. I said I'd been on his program. He, he has a nationally syndicated show. He does a, a local show. He's also a businessman who owns a couple of uh, media properties, as they say. And I said to him maybe a month ago, because I've been on his show a bunch of times, I said, you know, you must really have a sense of how the media has changed and what's happened in our country in, say, the last, not just the last five years, although that's been big, but in the last, say, 10, 15, 20 years in terms of the media. So I'm grateful to welcome Armstrong Williams to the program. How are you today, Armstrong? 
Excellent. And how are you, brother? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So tell me, you've been a businessman as well as a journalist, an on-air guy as well as a producer. What's the? How do you describe where we are in 2020? Um, where are we uh, in 2020? It's a tale of two cities. You ever heard that? <laughs> yeah. It's really a, a tale of two cities. Um, you know, I, I, I just think... Um, you know, you know, the Democrats are going to lose the House in 2020, uh, in 2020, in the next midterm election. Right. Uh, um, and the Republicans are going to probably gain the Senate back. Um, Trump is as strong as ever, despite all the investigations, the witch hunts. Um, January 6th, he's stronger than ever. Um, the GOP... Um, uh, going to have to deal with him in their system for the next three or four elections, and that's not all good. This comes a price with President Trump. Mm-hmm. President Biden really doesn't have a foreign policy, doesn't know what to do with the border. It's all out of control. Doesn't know how to handle the Russians. You don't know whether he's really running the country or not. Um, the Chinese are still building because they see a, a wrinkle uh, and that they can take advantage of. In American culture, most Americans know that no foreign enemy can never defeat us um, outside of the United States. But the defeat is started within the United States from these transgender bathroom um, to this Me Too movement that really doesn't have any kind of purpose anymore. Um, to this cancel culture and big tech having too much power, and and then you have people like. Zuckerberg and the billionaires meeting. They're like oligarchs. They have so much power <laughs> that he can be reigned in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then all of a sudden you've got this Delta variant back. It's going to give these government people a chance to further try to control and have a um, um, control and a monopoly uh, to bring these masks back again. We can see it all um, taking shape. Uh, and then the, the left has this strange, eerie, and arguably criminally motivated obsession with this disseminating list of their enemies under the guise of ad generating and publicizing these lists from the public records. They put the careers and lives of those who work for the Trump administration at risk, all in the pursuit of spite and hate, which nobody calls them out on. Mm-hmm. And the Trump administration, uh, is, is, and, and Trump has been out of office for nearly a half a year. At, and at this point, uh, it is clear that the mainstream media outlets who have relied so heavily on their spy for reporting on Trump for four years have come to the realization they can't survive without it. <laughs> it's really it's really true. We're talking with Armstrong Williams again. He hosts a nationally syndicated show on uh, Sin- the Sinclair Network, also a local one. And, and, and as I mentioned, is a is a, a businessman and owns media properties. Armstrong, pausing for a second. T- tell me about your because, again, you've been in television and you've been writing and you've been in radio and, and related to policy and politics. But but you, so you can observe this big tech, the rise of big tech in the last call it decade and then accelerating in the last two or three years. The dominance that they have in terms of influencing what people see and and therefore what they know and frankly what they do. I mean, it's um it's pretty uh, stunning. But what's how do you see it? You know, with some of your perspective. I think big tech is dragging us towards a financial crash. Um, the biggest platforms to me are a new kind of monopoly. Ed. At least lawmakers have figured out um, that it's a problem. Um, 
Um, I don't know if you remember when Zuckerberg testified on Capitol Hill a few years ago. Um, it was embarrassing exercise in congressional cluelessness, if you think about it. Uh, You heard of this cliche called dodging uh, the American political elite who sometimes seem confused. The messenger with the passenger pigeon would uh, never have the savvy to keep up with the the dynamism of big tech, let alone regulate it. They don't really understand it. They they are just they really understand. They really didn't understand what was going on at the time because Congress gets kicked so often for this doldish premium that it seems a great miracle when it actually does its job. And so big tech has been able to maneuver them, take advantage of them. And I think what's really happening ever since the election of Donald Trump, which revealed the rampant manipulation of social media, the backlash against Silicon Valley has often felt shapeless. Think about it. It's often has been shapeless, Ed, because these companies have tendrils extended into seemingly every aspect of American life. The complaints against them have sprawled, and it's going to even sprawl more and more and more. They have been criticized for this insensitivity to privacy, their role in the proliferation of misinformation, which nobody really wants to talk about enough, their cozy relationship with China, their creation of addictive products, their tax avoidance schemes, and so on. And you think about this, Ed, with such a boundless litany of attacks, the companies have benefited from their critics' failure to focus their arguments. Yeah, and uh, we're talking with Armstrong, Williams, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think, again, your perspective as a guy who's been in uh, in media for a couple decades before uh, this uh, onslaught is, I think, really important because a lot of us see it from, you know, where we are, you know, kind of from the outside. You've seen it from the inside. Armstrong, we're talking with Armstrong Williams, again, uh, a well-known commentator, also uh, uh, worked, I think, did you work, I, when you were, I, Eve, there's a famous photo of you with um, Reagan. Were you ever in the actual Reagan White House? I know you were, you sort of, that was when you got sort of a, a higher profile, but did you work? in the Reagan White House or was that just some of the leadership you were doing? No, I was appointed by Reagan. I worked at the Department of Agriculture and oh. at the plant, Animal Plant Health and Inspection Services because it played to my background as a farmer. Mm, gotcha. Okay. Um, so now, let me ask you before we run out of time. Again, Armstrong Williams are talking to him and I'll put up on social media links to his stuff and the work he's doing in the different places. But Armstrong, we're at a point where even the the, the, the other night, the um, the uh, the um, home run derby, uh, the, the, the Japanese-American Otani lost in the first round, but there was a wonderful article about how he's such a spectacular player. And in the last paragraph, an otherwise sane sports writer throws in the fact that in a nation that's torn uh, by violence and hate against Asian Americans, it's such a relief that he had a great night or whatever it was. And I thought, even the sports writers have to just sort of race bait. And, you know, Armstrong, and people may not know because we're doing radio, Armstrong Williams happens to be an African-American man. I mean, you know, so you'd have a perspective again. They want to say this country is just torn by race, torn by uh, racism. And uh, besides, forget about the history. I don't care about the debate. I mean, I care about 1776 versus 1619. I'm talking about being a human being walking around. It's not a perfect place. It was a per- We need a more perfect union. But it, it, how do you handle this sort of calling America in 2021 such a hellhole of racism and, and, uh, and mistreatment? You know, I, I, you know, at the uh, I guess I should say this more often. And, you know, you know, I'm no longer at radio. We're on television stations, network television stations across the country. Right. But in my offices around the world, whether it's the hotel, whether it's the broadcast industry, and whether it's real estate, we do not celebrate diversity. We celebrate excellence. Each person 
and our companies has something unique and remarkable to bring to the table that is completely disconnected from their immutable characteristics. Every day, um, I have the privilege to work with these wonderful people. I'm not interested in a race, their gender, or any other surface level trait of theirs. I see what they have to offer. The luxury I'm afforded by doing this is the luxury of focusing on what is important, which consequently, Ed, gives me the opportunity to also bring to my viewers the important issues without the racial drivel that others inject into the same stories. And so in observing the present state of racial divide, I've come to recognize that when we focus on concerns of race and gender, we neglect to address the most pressing issues. And what happens is that, Ed, all too often, Mm -hmm. the media tries to infuse race into important issues that are totally unrelated to race. And when they do that, the important issues seemingly transform to absurdities simply due to the means by which the media characterizes them. And so if you think that we look different, that is only because you are choosing to see our surface level differences. But I see something deeper. Even with you and I, I see something unique individuals with unique life experiences. I challenge all of us to do the same. The remarkable people that I work with and the remarkable people that we bring on our shows, they work hard every day, like yourself, to bring stories that people need to be heard, that need to hear, and stories that need to be told. And because of so many of our dedications to the truth and facts over this peripheral and often immaterial issues, we are able to parse through the stories and tell you the truth, not what we want you to hear. And that's what all Americans should be about, because when it's all said and done, Americans really don't care about this racial dribble and the fact that they're trying to tell us that we are bigoted and we're racist and we're white-wing and we don't care about people. We We don't like them bad. Americans understand what it is. It's politics. It's a cottage industry. It's a construct by man. And we can get on. We get on our daily lives, build families, build institutions and continue to build America into that shining city on the hill. Well, and I, I, I will say, let me finish and I will run out of time, Armstrong. But I, one of the ways that I know Armstrong is through some mutual friends. Uh, and, and when you're and people don't even know this. Ben Carson, a guy named Terry Giles, who's been on your program, Armstrong Williams. Uh, I think Clarence Thomas, even there's an organization called the Horatio Alger Society that started back in the 40s, maybe 50s, by, uh, among other people, Norman Vincent Peale, that highlights the men and women in America that come from nothing, that sort of up by your bootstraps, uh, uh, you know, kind of dream and succeed uh, in, in nearly every way. And, and when you see these folks together, you have all different sizes, stripes, colors, genders, everything, and, and opinions on politics. But the one thing they have is a sort of an optimism that, um, that the human being is made in the image and likeness of God, most of them, and, but more importantly, is made to succeed. And we can all figure it out and we can find our ways. And so uh, I salute you, Armstrong. Thank you for your uh, for your uh, generosity to me and others uh, with all the ways we can communicate through your media uh, empire. And uh, we'll have you on again. I got to run. Thank you, Armstrong. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. And we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Well, if you're like my kids, you don't want to hear any talk of uh, Christmas this early. My kids have a, 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 a an informal rule that they don't want to hear Christmas music until 
after Thanksgiving, but they don't even want to talk about Christmas stuff like shopping and all until December turns, no matter what. So this is their rule. I don't know why my kids decide to have this rule, but that's uh, where they are. So, but I'm breaking that rule. I'm breaking that rule right now because I want to tell you about a very cool opportunity. If you go to uh, phyllisschlafly.com, I'll put it up on social media. There's a link there and there we have a Christmas sale going on. Now, What's very cool about Phyllis Schlafly, the late Phyllis Schlafly, I mean, not just very cool about her. She was an amazing lady. But what is amazing, one of the amazing things about her is she was an incredible writer. And so we have already published volume after volume of her books. We call them Phyllis Schlafly Speaks. And you go on, on patents, on pro-life, on Donald Trump. Uh, all there. And again, you go to this website, you can follow this. Also, there's um, the first reader, very popular. Phyllis Schlafly wrote a reading manual for children to read back in the day, I don't know, about 15, 20 years ago. It's very popular these days. It's called The First Reader, and there's a First Reader workbook. Uh, you can find that there. You can also, there's tote bags, Phyllis uh, Schlafly tote bags, leather uh, pad, pad folio. We actually have a copy. Uh, the other day, you may remember, I appeared on Larry Elder's um, uh, radio show. And in the midst of all the different kind of appearances I made, I have acquired over the years some of the key books of folks uh, like Larry Elder. His book is a lot like me at tw- uh, out in 2018 in paperback about his relationship with his father. Phenomenal book. You buy that there. We've got some uh, uh, David Horowitz books, autographed uh, books that are around. We also have uh, Brian Kilmeade, uh, his book on uh, Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pilots. Pilots. Pirates. If you uh, are upset they took down Thomas Jefferson's uh, a statue up in New York City. Here's a chance. This is a great history. Anyway, all of this is at this website. You can go there and check it out. Lots of books, including my uh, my uh, comic, excuse me, coloring books. Can't trump this Kofefe. There's a Christmas version. Uh, the most, the, the best book I can recommend. Really important for you to read is Phyllis Schlafly's book, A Choice, Not an Echo, which she updated in 2014. It was a a runaway uh, multi, sold, I think, almost 2.5 million copies in 1964. Well, all those years later, uh, um, 50 years later, she published an updated version, and it gives you the best description of what's going on behind the scenes in the Republican Party and why it's so important to do that. So check it out. If you go, there's lots of gifts. About, oh, I want to meant to mention, there's also called the Turbo Reader. Phyllis, when she did the uh, first reader, she then did a, a Turbo Reader, which allowed people to uh, uh, a different level of reading you can get there. So another favorite of mine is Who Killed the American Family? Uh, extraordinary book written in 2014. You should get that. And then one last one I'll finish on. It's called The Supremacist. And it's uh, Phyllis writing about the importance, the tyranny of judges and how to stop it, the importance of the fight over judges. So a lot there. If you go again for Christmas, all these books, there's no supply chain problems. <laughs> there's no issues. You can sign uh, buy these books now. We'll get them to you in just a few days. You'll get them for Christmas. And there really is something for everybody. If you have somebody that loves the pro-life movement, there's really nothing like uh, volume three of Phyllis Schlafly Speaks. It's called its subtitle is how the Republican Party became pro-life and it marches through how Phyllis Schlafly was able uh, to um, shape 
the platform of the Republican Party. It's an extraordinary history. It's got a description of, uh, of, of tactics to get it done. It's got description of the people that were against it. It's really great. Um, another book, by the way, that I recommend uh, to you is uh, if you have somebody who is a young person who's interested in being a speaker uh, and uh, speaking professionally, we put together, in fact, Phyllis picked this out before she died. The very first volume of her uh, writings is called Phyllis Shafley Speaks, Volume 1, Her Favorite Speeches. She pulled out a set of her favorite speeches, and we published them. And they're on every subject. They're on the military. They're on life issues. They're on patents. They're on the, uh, the um, economy uh, education. Uh, one of her favorite topics, of course, the Constitution. She writes on that uh, in there. So that's a great one. And I, I've actually given that book uh, quite a few times to young people, our collegians uh, or someone that I know that just is interested in politics and policy uh, to show um, she Phyllis Schlafly was a writer her whole life. And she attributed the fact that she could write, uh, that she wrote well and worked hard at it to helping her think clearly. You, you cannot be a loose thinker if you're writing all the time. You cannot. You just can't do it. And so she attributed that. And she wrote an extraordinary amount uh, in her long life. In fact, if you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you can see the button for the, uh, for the sale. But also, I'd recommend that you go there and you can look at her Phyllis Schlafly reports. Uh, she wrote so many um, essays, so many columns, and so many uh, reports. They called her PS Reports. It was a monthly report. I- I- incredible uh, discipline, incredible cl- uh, clarity. And as I often tell people, I can go back and look over the 50 year period where she was writing so frequently. I can go back and look and I can track down almost any topic, uh, anything that was, you know, in the news she had written about uh, in some way. And her take is almost always uh, not just, it's not that it's unique. She didn't do things just to make it different, but it was, um, she had a way of seeing things. Uh, that was different than most people. And so you could go and figure that out. So com to find out more. And uh, you want to sign on and you want to uh, pick up some gifts. And by the way, the proceeds go, of course, to our work, uh, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. So it supports us there. All right. So there's some Christmas gifts. If you need a gift to thank uh, Noah Dingley, our great producer, you can go there. Or Joanna Spilger, our great uh, assistant producer who helps book these guests go there and get them a gift you can do it there so uh more of that on social media thank you for listening we will be back uh tomorrow it's ed martin here on a pro america report talk to you then this is the pro america report on the answer san diego